Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Love Edition of the Non-Traditional Scholar Podcast. First and foremost, this episode will be released right around Valentine's Day. So we want to wish all of you a lovely and happy Valentine's Day. Please know that if you've not been asked for someone to be their Valentine, you are our Valentine. So will you be our Valentine and enjoy this episode of love that we have released right around February 14th. If you don't know my name, my name is Jan. I'm your host for this podcast. And in this episode, we are going to talk about love in a very unique way and how love can cultivate many things. Ultimately, of the many things that love can inspire and cultivate, love is powerful. Now, with that said, love being powerful, I'd like for you to think of a word throughout the episode of this podcast, and that word is access. Accessibility. Access to pursuing your dreams. Having the access to actually working towards what you are trying to become and how important that access is. Now, many of you listening are either college graduates, non-traditional students, or have some sort of college education or college experience, or maybe you are a high school student on the verge of starting and embarking this new chapter called college or university. With that said, I'd like to describe a particular student that you may or may not relate to and think about this student in terms of access. Did you know that of students who have some sort of learning disability in high school get some kind of help or assistance to help them succeed? So they receive resources and those resources enable said student with what is defined as a learning disability to succeed and excel at getting their high school diploma. But in college, according to the Yale University Disability Fact Sheet, only 17% of these students take advantage of resources provided by their school. So I'm gonna say that again, 94% of students with learning disabilities get some kind of help in high school to get their high school diploma. But in college, only 17% of these students take advantage of the resources provided by their college institution, their school. That's a mind-boggling stat. And another stat reported by Yale University and their disability fact sheet is that approximately 11% of the U.S undergraduates register a disability with their school. So a learning disability can be physical, mental, and emotional. And living with something like that can be incredibly difficult. As a matter of fact, it can also be something that people tend to hide and unfortunately not be proud of. Of that 11% of the undergraduates that register with a disability, the actual number of college students 
that are in college with a disability is probably two to three times higher. So there's only 11% of certain students that register with a disability. That 11% is two to three times larger in terms of how many students are on campus trying to pursue a educational degree, trying to pursue their dreams through academics, two to three times higher. It's incredible. As a matter of fact, the last that I'm going to tell you, according to the same resource, 57 million people in the United States have some sort of disability, and about one in four of today's 20-year-olds will become disabled in some way, shape, or form before they retire. 57 million. Now, those statistics can be and seem disheartening. Well, today I want to show you how this episode is focused on using the story of one and their non-traditional route to who they currently are and using their story to promote their superpowers and how they did not allow what circumstances and how they were conditioned uh, when they were born to define them and how they used those circumstances and those conditions which unfortunately by many are defined as disabilities enable them to be a strong promoter of access and someone who builds bridges and they build bridges with them in order to connect them with the resources that they need to excel just like they have. So today's story, you're going to learn about someone who has a PhD, Corinne Locke. And her story is one that suffered through many trials and tribulations, but ultimately is founded upon love and how the power of connecting with people and sharing testimony can create love in a way that breaks down barriers and takes those trials and tribulations and turns them into triumphs. So without further ado, let's get to know Corinne and how she did not allow her conditions to define her story. So hello there. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time and sharing this opportunity to get to know you better. The audience, more specifically, to get to know you better. Perfect. Um, to begin, can you please introduce the audience with your name and uh, what you are doing currently at the college? Sure. My name is Karen Lackamy. I currently serve as the director of the Access Department at the Hylia campus. And I've worked at NBC for going on 16 years in August. 16 years. 16 years. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a, a quite a long time, quite a long chapter. Absolutely. I never in a million years would have thought when coming here on my first day for my first job to be here 16 years. I used to hear people tell me all the time, oh, I've been here five years, I've been here seven years, and that always sounded so long. I was like, I'm never going to have a job that long. <laughs> and here I am now. Going on 60. <laughs> so, Corinne, when you mentioned access, could you briefly describe what access is and how it helps students from all walks of life uh, in the education? Sure thing. Uh, access is a support service 
that Miami Day College provides college-wide. So the office does exist on all the eight locations. And our responsibility is to assist students who either have a diagnosis already or are looking to possibly be diagnosed or even have a temporary need of injury. Maybe they had surgery, God forbid, they were in a car accident and they have, you know, something that they have to maintain for a few months uh, with documentation. We meet with them. We see um, what their disability or condition is. We have a conversation about accommodations are, what the college can provide for them. We talk about the different services and then the student chooses to be a part of access and then every semester they come, they do a check-in um, and then we give them faculty letters of accommodation to simply communicate to each faculty member what the student needs uh, to support them in the class and in hopes have the student and the faculty member, you know, have a good relationship as to where the student and the professor are talking through the accommodations. If the student has additional challenges, they feel comfortable having that conversation with the professor. And then if they need help, we're there to help them with anything in between. Great. So what are some of the services that Access accommodates? Depends. Uh, for example, if somebody, if somebody was communicating differently than I am to you, they may need a sign language interpreter. If someone were to have a different way of learning or a learning disability per se, they may have extended time on a test. If someone would have a physical disability, that could be the need to have the opportunity to get up in class and walk around because they have arthritis or they have something that gets, you know, irritated from sitting. Um, certain students who may also connect to access may have health conditions, so they may need to have their diabetes monitor on their desk with them, you know, at all times. So we just let the professor, you know, know that the student has something that they need to keep by them. And then those students may have also the opportunity to get up in class and be excused to go to the restroom without, you know, having right. to raise their hand okay. to do all of those things. Awesome. Awesome. So you help with maximizing their potential and providing them with the resources needed to excel. Absolutely. 16 years ago, when you first got the job, was it through Access? Uh, no, actually not. I came to Miami Day College after graduating with a master's degree in higher education and conflict resolution Okay. from Nova Southeastern University. Great. And I came to Miami Day College actually in a position called an AmeriCorps VISTA which is something you apply to uh, with the concept of wanting to serve your country, but not through the lens of the military. I see. So being an AmeriCorps VISTA, you're put at a site that experiences different types of county, the community that needs resource. That could be uh, economical, that could be food, that could be different things. And the person that's put there helps that agency get those resources find volunteers to help find those resources so i actually came here to a an organization or a department called cci the center for uh, the center for civic engagement which is what it is now so cci uh-huh and then you got through that position through americorps uh-huh how did you find yourself applying with americorps uh -huh. 
Well, interestingly enough, and I'm very careful how I share this with with people, um, I was an older student when I graduated from Nova. I was already 30 years old. So, so you're a um, traditional student. I am. Yeah. Absolutely, with some interesting circumstance in between. Yeah. But also because I have a physical disability, I found it hard to be sometimes accepted by people, especially into jobs where physical labor had to be done. Okay. Or the idea of a mental capacity because people judged me. Yeah. So I had applied for over 87 jobs in the United States. 80. Not in the state of Florida. Then I found this thing called AmeriCorps Vista, and you could apply, put your resume, and you could tell them that you wanted to stay in a particular state. You could tell them different states that you wanted to go to, or you could simply tell them what you wanted to be involved in. If you wanted to work with healthcare, if you wanted to work in education, if you wanted to do like the YMCA and different things, and you fill out this scale of things and then you get results back and then people can reach out to you and say oh i'm the director of this in this state and you choose to take that interview and you go through the process and if they pick you that becomes your residence for the year okay future luckily enough miami day picked me and i was like wow i don't even have to move <laughs> i i live here already i was currently living in Miami Shores. Nice. So it kind of worked out, and they told me, you're going to the Hialeah campus. And I went, oh, my God, I don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> and they said, Corinne, don't worry. The responsibility of the Hialeah campus is to actually teach people English. And that was 16 years ago. So if you are a student now, this is a very different campus than it once was. Right. AP classes were many times through the day many sections just because and then as we've grown up and gotten bigger and had other buildings we find the opportunity to acquire and tech and different opportunities for students so since the expansion of Hialeah campus we've been able to enroll and, and help educate students beyond but at the beginning it was predominantly EAP mm-hmm. English for advanced placement right? academic pur- academic purposes all right so you mentioned you earned your degree 39? I was 30 years old when I finished my my master's degree. 30 years old. So take me back to when you finished your high school diploma. Okay. Um, what was the next step for Corinne once you got your high school diploma? I had no idea. <laughs> and I say that because... The past, the previous five years connected to that experience was not a positive time in my life. My mom had passed away when I was 14 years old. My dad now had to have three jobs because I had to go to physical therapy still. We had to pay the bills on the apartment and all these things. So it was just a very trying time. Should I have gone to school right away? Do I get a job? What do I do? Uh, because I was not necessarily connected well in high school, not because I chose not to want to learn. I just couldn't put the capacity forward to want to do it. I knew I could. I just didn't have the mental 
capacity strength, I was depressed, and I got through high school. Good. But not to the best I could. Okay. So when I graduated, I was like, where can I go to school, I guess, that's going to take the GPA I had and, you know, help me improve, but is that really what I should do right now? Okay. And I decided to go to Broward at that point, Broward Community College, because I lived in Broward County. And I got a job, I worked full-time, and I went to school full-time. And that was pretty, pretty tedious. Um, And then I decided if I stopped going to school, I could work more and get more money. And at that particular time, 1999, we were experiencing different things in the economy, and I decided I'm not going to go to school right away, I'm just going to work. Okay. So I was doing that. And then my father passed away some years after. And then I decided that I was really just going to have to go to school for the simple sake of survival. Um, I had moved to New York right before September 11th. And I was getting job interviews and all these things. And Karen, you're very smart, but you don't have a piece of paper that says that you know how to do these things. It's amazing, but like, we need something. You need credentials. Right. So because I never assumed residence in New York, I came back to Hull, where I said I was never coming back. <laughs> uh, but I know this place like the back of my hand because I was born here and raised here and here, here, here. <laughs> um, so I came back here and I um, found an institution that I simply went to eat lunch with someone who worked there. And by the time I left, I was enrolled for classes that started the next term. I went back to New York, packed up my things, and a week later, I was back to being a Florida resident, and I attended Barry University, and I did um, I had something like seven classes a term to go out of there. Oh. Uh, not because I didn't like it, but... I lived on campus. My financial aid was what it was, but the less time that I had to live there was going to be less costly for me. So I was doing more classes. I worked on campus. Um, I did some really cool things. And I was like, okay, this college experience isn't a bad thing. So with that, I will say, if it wasn't for the things that the college offered outside of the classes, clubs and organizations, things like that to get involved with. I worked in student life. I worked for the dean's office. I volunteered. Like, those things are the things that got me through school. I appreciate academics. I learned them. I have, you know, degrees and certificates and all kinds of things. But if it wasn't for those things, I probably wouldn't be here sitting with you because this is what I like to do. But I didn't figure that out. Until I got to the things that I liked yeah. that were different than what I was studying. Interesting. So the extracurriculars, the clubs and the interactions outside of the class made almost a larger impact than the studies themselves. I found ways to help people. I found ways to help people in ways that I wasn't helped or, let me rephrase that, ways that I didn't ask to be helped in. I thought that. I probably could have found people, but I was stubborn. Uh, I thought I could do everything by myself. And having a disability, you almost want to 
prove to everyone that you can do everything by yourself. So I kind of did that. But somewhere in all of that experience, I learned that um, I needed to be okay with asking for help. And sometimes the help could help me get something done faster, different, better, whatever. And I could get beyond that and do other things and help other people. And I, from that point, I've learned to not be... Uh, I was a very shy person. Yeah? I was an introvert. Surprise. Who I went to school. <laughs> and I am not the most extrovert. I have no problem, you know, talking to people. Right. Standing up for myself, standing up for other people. Uh, I love teaching class. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of... Some little switch was turned on one day and, <laughs> you know, my, my scooter and I scooted away in the horizon and just found things to do. So all that came from one lunch conversation. And uh-huh. Can you take us back to that conversation and uh, briefly describe what were some of those key words that allowed you to feel like, you know what, let me take this shot. Okay, so interestingly enough, um, the key person that was having this conversation worked at the institution, but was also my mom's best friend. I see. And I had stayed in contact with her throughout my life, but when I moved to New York, we kind of disconnected a little bit, and I had come back to Florida on that trip to actually see her son graduate high school and my best friend graduate the University of Miami. Congratulations. Now, my best friend, we did all of elementary school together, and we went to a magnet school of high school, uh, middle school together at Horace Mann, which isn't too far away for science and computers. So we were going to, you know, program the world and you all <laughs> do all of these things. And she had gone to the University of Miami, and she was going to go do a program to work for the Center of Disease Control. Wow. And I had spent like four days with her. And as positive as these experiences were, I felt sad for myself because I'm actually older than her, even though we were going through school together. But here she is with her journey a little bit secured in hers. And I'm trying to still figure out mine, who, you know, who my friends are, what my life is. And I was just like, I kind of got blown away. So in that conversation, uh, my friend was like, okay this school can offer you some of those fine-tuned experiences. She had worked there for a while, so she knew the things that I enjoyed. And she, oh, I have this person for you to meet and that person for you to meet. Uh, and that same very same trip, I met the president of Barry University at that point, Sister Jean O'Loughlin, who decided she was going to be my mentor. And Sister Jean is a very historical figure for... Uh, the state of Florida, better yet, Miami, and what she did for Barry University, being a nun, being their president, but how she took care of people and things around her. Uh, for those of us who are a little bit older, listening to this, uh, Elian Gonzalez and the situation that happened with them, she helps foster the needs of those families that were connected to him and what he needed while he was here before he went back to Cuba. To Cuba. Wow, 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 wow. Let me ask you, can you take the audience to the moment where you started to turn the switch and find your focus and leave the uncertainty of how you were going to push forward with your life and uh, 
pursue your career, which is 16 years in, uh, you did mention that along the way, you, you taught. Interestingly, present who I was and my disability, but in a way that I was like, hey, professor, can I just have five minutes? I'd like to share a little bit about who I am with the class. And interestingly enough, maybe now we think that we shouldn't have to do something like that, but I felt that I could be more accepted if I did. That's great. And then I started doing that. And then other people that had different types of challenges and different things were asking for the same, oh, I want to do that <laughs> Can you help me write my elevator speech? And I'm doing this. So I became very much so extroverted because of that process very. of school. And then when I came here, uh, interestingly enough, I was sitting in my cubicle office and I was having a conversation with a student who was not pleased with a course that they were registered in. And this was when I was in AmeriCorps Vista, so I had nothing to do with advisement or anything like that. But the student basically came to me and said that he didn't know why he was put in a course called SLS, and he didn't know why he had to do a service project. It's the most ridiculous thing he's ever heard of. And I sat down and I told him what SLS was and how it worked. And I explained to him the service project, because that's the department I was working in at that time. So I was like, okay, this makes perfect sense. And he left, he felt more understood and under standing his syllabus and the door in my cubicle opened again and I thought it was him <laughs> and it was at that point the dean of our campus and she said Karen I think you should go teach that class you were telling that student about I'm gonna go have a conversation so she went back to Dr. Carrie Castro who at that point was a chairperson for that department and they got the lead professor over SLS, uh, Dr. Evelyn Diaz, and they interviewed me for a position. I submitted my resume, and that summer I began teaching, <laughs> and I've taught since, and that was 2000, 2009. Wow. Talk about getting out of your comfort. Yeah. And I love, I love teaching. Um, I teach all the different uh, courses of SLS, some I do appreciate differently than others because we get to explore you know different things and get students to you know come back to being truly connected and the fact that there's different variations of the SLS course it allows you to be able to kind of teach particular things but you know overall it's still the student being connected to resources great so far We've heard how Corinne has been able to maximize her potential despite being conditioned with what society defines as a disability and overcome many obstacles to be a helping hand and a resource for others who may be struggling with something that they've been challenged with all their lives. I think her drive and her spirit and her courage speaks with every word that she's said so far in the interview but now Corinne is going to be more specific regarding what some of the greatest 
obstacles she had to overcome in being in the position that she is in and in life in general. How has Perrin managed to overcome those obstacles despite being born and living with her disability and eventually transforming herself into a conduit that is vital for many of you in the audience and someone you may know who is struggling with achieving what they're trying to achieve in life. What were some of those obstacles and what she had to specifically overcome and continue to overcome is what we are going to get into now. Um, you mentioned service learning. Could you clarify? Because like that student, some students, non-traditional and traditional, may not be familiar with that aspect of... For Miami Day College is when a professor decides that they have a particular theme of their course or they want a student to explore something from a particular lens. They will tell the student to accomplish five hours, 10 hours of service in the community, identifying or addressing a particular topic. Now, some professors will provide a list for students to pick from. Uh, some professors will say, okay, it's related to your major. So it really all depends on what the professor wants, what she wants the reflection to be, whether it's written, whether it's recorded, whether it's, I've had things come back, flyers or, or videos inspiring students to participate with that particular organization or showing off what they do because maybe it's what I call uh, the jewel unknown. Okay. Something that exists, but until you find it, you don't know that it's a jewel. But once you find it, you're like, wow, this thing is awesome. Right. Interestingly, just yesterday, there was an event downstairs and uh, an organization by the name of UPG, uh, Urban Paradise Guild, was setting up a table. They work on pulling up invasive species from the environment. They work with different parks. They have butterfly gardens at elementary schools. They do all types of environmental things. And I know the gentleman who is the director, a gentleman by the name of Sam Van Leer, and he says, Corinne, one of your most favorite students is here. And is now employed wow. by Urban Paradise Guild, but connected to that organization from the class that I taught in the first semester that I taught it. So he found what he wanted. He was interested in science and the environment. He pursued that here, went to FIU, opened his own. At first, it was a la landscaping and land work service, and then he kind of evolved into other things. He brought property and like landscape and created different things from that. And now he connected back to the same organization he did his project from to be the assistant director of student apprentice something. <laughs> something really fancy. Wow. Um, but he was here yesterday, which was super awesome. Definitely a proud moment, I would admit. Yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that goes to show the the value of experiencing something like service learning yeah. in the class. So next question in these 16 years and since you walked the stage with 
your PhD. What would you say were some of the greatest challenges that you've had to overcome um, during this 16-year chapter while working with the college? Um, I still think that some sometimes the misconception that people have of who well, who I am or what I do or better yet what I can do gets questioned. Uh, sometimes somebody will introduce me and they're like, "Oh, you're Corinne," and I'll question, "Well, what does what does that really mean?" And I laugh it off because I'm curious. I'm like, "Okay, what what happened? I heard I've." Been known to have done some funny things at some different campuses. One campus, I've gotten the flat tire. Another campus, the Dina students had to come and, like, pick me up and whatever as my scooter had an accident and I, like, turned over into a bush. So I've had, you know, some, some pretty interesting things. So I always joke around with, well, what do you know? <laughs> um, but that's in my own humor. That's how I address the things that may make others uncomfortable but I only have the humor when it comes to myself right um because I'm okay with laughing at myself only because I'm me and why not I think I've also been challenged by some of our students I see because they'll question the same thing oh you have a disability and you're gonna help me figure out the things I view here with mine and I said well doesn't that make me an expert and they're then they'll kind of go, oh, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> so again, I make, I'm trying to make light of it, or I'll explain to them the things that I know or the things that I do. I purposefully have um, some awards in my office from the college, from where I've gone to school to kind of just not necessarily prove, but like, okay, you have a question, you know, here's, here's some things. Or I'll tell them about my story or my challenges and a lot of times I kind of get them to feel comfortable and then I'll kind of unpack their stuff with them and it becomes easier for them once they hear and see what I can do, what I've done, what I still want to do. Um, so the hint, I think it, it helps them. Good. Um, and then other times when things have gotten just a little bit too weird. I'm I'm not a shant person. <laughs> I pull up to you know, as someone who's a responsible for something. And I'm like, hey, just something for you to consider and I'll I'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's great. Uh I feel like you have taken what people misconceive and turned it into a superpower through your ability to build relationships and your ability to use humor when needed, when just your ability to connect uh, inside and outside the classroom. So that was one end of the spectrum. Obviously, getting stories like your former student going full circle and working at one of the organizations that he actually did the service learning project at. Besides those monumental milestones, what other situations would you consider things to be most rewarding um, what you I think because of what I do now is staying connected to so in some capacity all the things that I previously done or still understand um, and also being from Miami um, and having the experiences that I have had whether that was being homeless whether that was the fact that I had dropped out of school so many times that I had gone through the challenges 
when students tell me that they have those challenges or they don't know where to get something, sometimes I think I know how to get it done quicker, different, better, whatever that is, because I went through it. So a lot of resources I'll give to my students may be something like, okay, vocational rehab. That helps people with disabilities in the end get jobs. And they're like, oh, that sounds well. Well, I used it a thousand years ago. And then I explained what the process was and what they, you know, stay connected to. You know, I've, I've previously attended mental health counseling and use it now. So if I have a student in distress, I tell them full disclosure, I have no problem telling you anything about myself. And I use myself as the example. So I'll talk about mental health counseling. Um, a lot of the seri- uh, series of services that Single Stop uses, I needed or would have liked when I went to school. So if I feel that any of those things fit into what I can say, I put them out there too. Um, so just the ability to connect to them in that. Um, I've never studied abroad and I love the concept, but having a disability, that's a whole nother level of things to unpack but because i enjoy it i've learned so much about it that my students have gone on study abroad and connected so sometimes i'll tell my students well i you know as weird as it is i'm gonna live through you great i'm helping you but <laughs> help me by doing the thing that you want to do and then tell me about it that's well i see where you're helping with it and usually it works that's awesome yeah. that's awesome so you mentioned how you try to use your story in full disclosure in order to connect with students that may feel isolated or not connected to some of the resources that we have here. I mentioned, I asked you earlier, what was some of the greater challenges that you've had to face during this 16-year career uh, at MDC? So now the question I want to ask is, what were some of the greater challenges that Corinne had to face throughout her life? And how were you able to overcome some of those okay. challenges? Having a disability um, and not knowing what it what it was, I think uh, I remember that quite well. And I was born um, in the 70s. So technology is very different um, than it was then. When I was born, I weighed two pounds. That was historic. That didn't happen at that period of time. So the fact that I'm sitting... You know, with you having this conversation, some doctors be like, oh my God, you know, that's a miracle. Now, my parents were the ones who really fought that beginning because, you know, I probably just went with them and was present, but I didn't put effort, you know, into into those things. I see. Uh, in elementary school, uh, and I don't remember having problems in elementary school. People would like pick up my crutches. I had a walker. They'd help me carry my backpack. Like we all knew each other. Elementary school was was cool. Great. Middle school is where I think a lot of adolescents begin to attempt to try to be cool or to blend in or do something. So I went to a school that was a magnet school. And usually magnet schools have um, the purpose of them existing where they are sometimes to help the population, to help the resource of that community because that community suffers in such a way and such. So um, I was picked on quite a bit. Uh, I happened to be white. So that was something that was uh, different to that community. I had always gone to schools with 
where I was the only white person. I went to schools where I had to learn how to walk. So because they had therapy, they were also in places that weren't the best. And I was used to that. So I didn't have a problem with me. I didn't understand why being white was not okay. Um, so middle school was Challenge. a little bit rough. rough. Um, I got beat up in seventh grade. Wow. Um, and I became friends with a predominantly tall person who enjoyed baseball. Okay. Uh, who became a good friend of mine who would walk me to all my classes. And we became friends. And we, um, it's probably one of my truest friends in the middle school uh, experience. And then high school, that was partly on me simply because I was depressed and I didn't know what I was doing. Didn't know, want to know what I was doing. Um, I had started um, ninth grade in North Miami Beach, but then my house had gotten robbed and they had stolen everything from where we lived. All my mom's possessions, because it was after she had passed away, they had stolen everything. So my dad and I moved to Broward County to you know, find somewhere else to live for him to get another job. Uh, and I just didn't feel comfortable at the school that I was at. It was a beautiful school, but these were very intelligent people, a different type of intelligence that I went to school with before. Okay. Like I was tutoring and working with kids and we were surviving and doing. And in this school, it was like, they were magnets, but they were like, uh, OJT and doing all of these things that I was just like, okay, whoa, I've not seen this at this level. And I became kind of overwhelmed right. and then still depressed or whatever. So I had a small clique of friends. Um, like I said, I got through high school. It wasn't easy, but I, I did it. Um, and then I kind of tested out things kind of as I went and we heard about that. Yeah. 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 That's, a, that's amazing quite challenging once you get sixth grade i think sixth seventh eighth grade for many uh a person were probably some of the more challenging times throughout their educational experience but i would imagine the fact that you know you you had your disability and and you had to go to schools where you were the outcast because of what you mentioned that made it even more difficult more more difficult um but I feel that those experiences also shaped who you eventually became and who you are. If it wasn't for some of those experiences, I don't think I would have a story that would mean as much to share when I share with other people. Right. But that I wouldn't have probably the love to do what I do now because of that too. Right. So I do um, presentations throughout the year, um, a lot at the Hialeah campus, but I have done them at other campuses called A Day in My Life or A Story of Salt. Okay. And I talk about disability through being me. I share a lot of what we're sharing now, but then through that, other students will share their-ness and their thing. And it becomes this really interesting, okay, it's not just you, it's me. And that happened to me. And I never thought that happened to anybody else. And it becomes this real life story that, yes, it was my life, but it gets kind of relives through other people's yeah. connection to it. And 
some really interesting things have happened. I've met some really nice, cool people. Um, sometimes I may get a student to take a different lens or look if it's in a class that I teach or a presentation where they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, something you said resonated with me. And because of that, I did this or that's great. Or I'll have a person come to me. Your, your, in fact, your desk sharer roommate that you have at Miami Day in college <laughs> was, or is in fact, someone that I know because he was my student at one point. That's right. And he is someone that through shared stories and experiences, we've helped each other share and help other students. So it's not just one person in their story. I think people being able to connect to other people that then with given permission come to you and bring people that they know to you to connect to help. I said, can only, you know, do so much because would that ever happen if those people didn't know right. those things? And it's very ironic that you mentioned my office buddy, uh, Professor Ronnie Castillo, because uh, ironically, he also plugged you and mentioned you in his testimony Correct. in his in his episode. I think what you mentioned earlier is incredibly powerful because your story, although unique to you, it speaks to other people's testimonies and kind of creates a bridge of understanding and creates a sense, most importantly, of inclusion which once you start to feel included and in a part of something, it gives you, like you said in your story with your mom's friend and even your best friend, it gives you a sense of belonging. And uh, it essentially is the spark that flips the switch and, you know, your story is testimony to that and the rest was history. So I got two more questions. Sure thing. Regarding access specifically access and what it's doing for access students. What do you think access needs to do to reach out and help more? Where's one part of the access department that you think needs more investing in? Um, I, I honestly think that it's 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 very hard to answer that question for a lot of a lot of reasons. I think there needs to be a broader, better stronger understanding of what the office um, does, but by way of professors, students, like everyone that can connect because professors may not understand. And if a student gives them paperwork that communicates, oh, you know, a student gets extra time and then gets these things, but that professor doesn't understand why, then they may not be able to be as helpful to that student. The student also has to make the choice to want to use those services, check in when they're having challenges, having um, open conversation with their professor and, and be able to communicate in that way. I think uh, anyone who works for our institution, you know, could know what it is and be able to make a referral to a student, you know, with the appropriateness of how to communicate that in language that is appropriate um, for the situation. So I really think it's a, a team experience. I think we all could learn from each other. I think we all can help each other. Professors have come together and say, oh, you know, I use this method in my class because different students who have, for example, 
learning disabilities. We may not think how we structure an email is just, I'm writing an email to communicate a message. Right. Well, what is your message? Should you bullet your questions? Should you separate them from your content? Should they stand out? And then if they stand out, does a person who is reading it or hearing it, can they understand it and do they appreciate it the same way because it's communicated to them in the same manner? So I just, I think it's a teamed experience. We, we always need to check in with each other. How do you think we can support each other? How do you think we should do this? Uh, I try to attend as many <laughs> things on this campus yes. that I can. I do as many presentations as humanly possible. Yeah. Um, sometimes so it's like there's more than one Corinne. <laughs> sometimes I wish there there was. I could just finish a button and the second one pops out of my screen. That would be fantastic. Um, but I just think the acceptance of difference um, needs to be. I think students need to have clear understanding about disabilities. Professors can think of additional ways to teach ways to make things easier for students who may have different challenges. Are there opportunities to have an assignment, but have it in three different ways and a student can pick the measure of the one of the three that helps them process that information? That's great. So I think it's a multifaceted Absolutely. collaboration that needs to, to, to be invested in moment. Once everybody jumps in and gets on board, the sky's the limit. I see. I see. So the last question for the audience is, what's next? You just described the first 16. Um, what's next for Corinne? Where do you want to see Corinne evolve and what's left for Corinne to aspire to achieve? Um. Well, <laughs> um. You're not the first person who's asked me about PT. <laughs> so it's it's interesting. And, and you know, as many students, when they come to my Dane, you know, may change their major because of a different interest or whatever, I've kind of changed my mind about what the next thing could be. But um, at one point, I did uh, operate kind of a small business that helped people with disabilities and those who didn't find jobs do resume writing scholarship writing, any type of that, uh, but also connect to them to services through the community and things um, for different cities. I've done presentations um, for elementary schools on disability awareness and whatever. And it's just kind of like a LLC that I, forgive me, whatever mood I was in, which was what I could design and give to that person or that place or that thing. And it was really neat. Um, and when I came back to Florida, I kind of didn't stay inspired to do that because time is of the essence and it was hard to go to school, work at Miami Day College, you know, take care of myself. And right. I was like, okay, one of these things has to give. But since COVID, there's so many people now who work from home or because they feel more comfortable being at home are still looking for true jobs that are sustainable, that are true and aren't these, you know, bogus jobs um, out there. So like helping people find those particular resources, 
um, connecting them again to services. I think a lot of what we're going to have to be as people now is resources to others because some of us have lost things because of COVID and things after that. Um, you know, the housing market's kind of wackadoodle. Oh, yes. um, the costs of food, rent, all of those are spiking. So I think some opportunity to create in some capacity what services and resources would be for people who are in general need, not just people with disabilities or particular anything. Right. Just resources of community could come together. And I I kind of do that a bit with where I live now. Uh, I sit on a board and I present to them different things. I work with the group that works with people who are either disabled or challenged. I don't use those words uh, too much myself. I like challenge or condition versus disability, but that's my personal challenge. <laughs> um, but just being able to come together as resources, and I want to find a way to put my resources out. Um, and I'm not necessarily even bothered with would I get paid for that or not. I just want to be that helpful. So I could see myself retiring from Miami Dade, maybe not staying in this particular role until that point. Okay. Um, but I also think Miami Dade is a great place for being able to try something new, writing a grant to try a project. I'm very familiar with all the campuses and a lot of people who are there. So kind of just staying in tune and kind of hearing out what's okay. what's going will lead me to where I'm supposed to be next. That's wonderful. I think what I took from your story is the power of a helping hand and how one person's story, one person's intellect, one person's mind and effort can lead to a conduit of resources that can help. If anyone in the audience wishes to contact you regarding access and how access can help them or a family member who they may feel could benefit, how could they reach? Uh, if you go onto the MDC webpage, you put the word access into the search bar with the little magnifying glasses or it's simply www.mdc.edu forward slash access. You go to the context tab, you click on my lead, and I am the first person there because the Oxhiley is two people. Uh, I'm the first person there. Um, there is my personal direct email address, but then there's also a Hylia campus uh, email address. I'm the only one who checks either of them, so you're really sending me two emails if you write to both, which is perfectly good. Great. Um, but if you are a student or something from another campus, um, I can still tell you about access. I can do an intake with you. I can tell you um, you know, what you would need to take to the other campus, to the other access departments. It's not um, strictly because you've only gone to XYZ campus. That's the place that helps you. Okay. Well, Ms. Corinne Lockby, thank you very much for your time and your powerful testimony. It was a pleasure. All right. Thank and you very much. Thank you. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The life and testimony of Corinne Lockney, Access Department representative, a supporter of Access, and a testament to what 
one person can achieve despite being born two pounds and living their life with what is a disability. So we hope that with this Valentine's Day episode, we were able to connect you with a story of love, compassion, and hope. And for those of you that are considered one of the 57 million Americans living with some sort of disability according to Yale University's research and studies, we hope that Corinne's power and story of one can show and demonstrate that you are not alone and that through connection, through relationship building, through inclusion, the disability does not have to be the definer of your life. College is still accessible for all. All you got to do is reach out. That would be the first step to receiving the access and the love and the support you need. Happy Valentine's Day once again from the Non-Traditional Scholar Podcast. I am your host, Jan. More to come. Our anniversary is coming very soon. Our anniversary episode is coming very soon. Be on the lookout for that. We are excited to celebrate our one-year anniversary with all of you. Pop the champagne or pop the sparkling cider if you choose to, but we will be celebrating with all of you. Until that time, more to come. Thank you again. Stay safe. Take care.